We are recording with Dr. Kevin Barrett on Tuesday, May 9th, 2023 at 5.34 p.m. Eastern Time and uh, talking about the, the Kremlin uh, drone attack, which uh, somebody pointed out uh, didn't even knock over the flagpole on top <laughs> of the Kremlin. So how how dangerous was this? And uh, was this Ukraine at all? Was this us? What do you think is going on, man? You know, who knows? I, I don't have the security clearance necessary. That's way above my pay grade to actually know anything for sure about this sort of thing. Yeah. So I just speculate. Yeah. And my speculations are usually labeled uh, wild-eyed conspiracy theories. And they often turn out to be accurate. That means Not they're always. true. Yeah, yeah, they're often true. Yeah. Not always. But yeah, in this particular case, I thought it was hilarious that the mainstream media started screaming false flag, false flag, Putin, false flag. The Russians did it themselves um, with very little evidence for that. And the kind of, you know, instant false flag reaction from the mainstream media was kind of hilarious in the way that it mirrored the sort of reaction that I'd started, you know, and so many of us have had when these kind of ridiculous uh, stories would burst into the mainstream about the, you know, the Charlie Hebdo cartoonist uh -huh. getting slaughtered and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I put a book out about that that came out six weeks after it happened because it, it only took a few days before I realized that that was a false flag. And so, but the mainstream media, they thought that this Kremlin drone attack was probably a false flag like a day and a half after it happened. Why, as they, they claimed, uh, it's unlikely that a Ukrainian missile could get through all the Russian air defenses and make it all the way to the Kremlin. And then it's also suspicious that it exploded in this perfectly photogenic file fireball above <laughs> the Kremlin without doing any real damage. Now, yeah, I can kind of get that, but it, that may not be true in that, number one, there are security cameras bristling around the Everywhere. Kremlin. Yeah, yeah. So getting some footage of something that blows up over the Kremlin is not going to be hard. Those cameras worked, unlike the cameras at the Pentagon on 9-11. <laughs> so that, uh, those two that just so happened to be lined up as a car was coming by. Yeah, those those finicky things. Yeah, yeah. And then the, what little they finally got that they finally released like, you know, eight or ten years after the fact that really didn't show a plane. Uh, that, that was all very strange. You would kind of think that if a big old jumbo jetliner flies into the Pentagon, it's probably going to get caught by one of those security cameras. But somehow that didn't happen. Um, but at the Kremlin, we have this perfect kind of uh, this fireball. So anyway, my take on this is that the real tell whether it's a false flag or not is the media reaction. Okay. Now, the Russian state media downplayed this. They didn't hype it. They downplayed it. So to me, that says it's probably not a false flag. If you have a false flag, it's you they're going to scream up. it out over the headlines. 9-11, 9-11, 9-11, yeah. Al-Qaeda. Or uh, you know, Charlie Hebdo, poor cartoonist slain by evil Muslims. You know, they're going to make a huge stink in the media about it because that's the whole purpose of a false flag. The Russians didn't really do that this time, so I don't think it was a false flag. Uh, who knows what it was really about? And to me, the, the most interesting hypothesis that I've seen is that the you know this war is not playing out so well for Ukraine. And there are rumors that Zelensky might be getting warm to trying to save his life and even his uh, leadership by getting on board with the Chinese peace proposal. And if that's the case, then the uh, the empire needs an excuse to get rid of Zelensky. Mm -hmm. And to do that, it would be very helpful if they could plausibly blame Russia for killing Zelensky 
So if they stage an apparent assassination attack on Putin, mm -hmm. credited possibly to Zelensky, and then they kill Zelensky in a false flag designed to be blamed on Putin, it looks really plausible because, oh, Putin was really angry that, they, that Zelensky tried to kill him. And now, oh, Zelensky got killed. Of course it was Putin that did it. Yeah. So they may be setting up uh, taking out Zelensky. That's a possibility. I don't think we won't. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Any cursory, read being any history the, book on the last 50 years. Right, right. Being, being America's enemy can be dangerous, but being its friend is often fatal. Henry and Kissinger. Zelensky may find that out. Isn't that a Kissinger Probably. quote? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm rereading. Uh, I first read it when I was 18. I was grounded. Um, but uh, Tim Wiener's, Tom? Tim Wiener's uh, Legacy of Ashes, one of the better books on the CIA. And man. Yeah, I if, remember that. Yeah. If you don't think we'll do this, we will do this 10 ways from Sunday. And um, that's probably what it is. Zelensky, uh, Zelensky, it really is a, it's a, it's a poetic deal with the devil, right? He's on every, he's on every late, he's on every show. He's cheered around the world. The flags in every profile. Don't you dare step away from the fight. The machine is rolling. And if you step away from the fight, you will be thrown right into the meat grinder. And, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah, this is really more the Empire's War than it's Ukraine's War. Oh, it's a hundred percent the Empire's War. Yeah, you, yeah. You, Ukraine. That, that's just a that's just a coincidence that we have chosen that coordin those coordinates. That that that's truly about it. Pretty much. I mean, let's face it. There is a rabid Ukrainian nationalism out there, but it affects a minority of the people of you know what used to be the Ukraine, which had it was half Russian speakers, ethnic Russians. But that they that that split that was engineered, sort of like the Sunni Shia split engineered with the false flags and so on in Iraq after the invasion and occupation, that whipped up a bunch of you know really you know fanatical people. Mm. And so there are these fanatical Ukro Nazis or super nationalist Ukrainians who hate Russians. They do exist, so they're real. But yeah, it's it, that that was largely engineered. And if if the empire didn't want this war to happen, it never would have happened. Mm. Absolutely. Um, do you think that, do you think that, um, we're kind of, we're pushing for World War Three because of the rise of bricks and de-dollarization that, uh, to put it simply, they're fucking with the money? Oh yeah, sure. Because, you know, it's, it's the, the old Thucydides trap that the number one power typically goes to war with the to rise preemptive war to stop the rise of the number two power. Yeah. And that happens about two thirds, three quarters of the time historically, according to Graham Allison's book. So the U.S. is obviously the number one power, and China is the rising, rapidly rising, maybe too, maybe it's already risen too far, but yeah. it's it's the, you know, the meteoric <laughs> number yeah. two power. Uh, and now the brilliant American neocons have forced the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians and half of the world, more than half of the world, into this alliance against us. You know, rather than playing divide and conquer like most number one powers do, successfully quite often instead these people just decided to mistreat everybody and mm. unite everybody against us so it's just amazing the uh lack of intelligent geopolitical strategy you ask yourself why is that is you know, basically either you could be a conspiracy theorist and say you know these neocons actually want to destroy america Possibly. yeah maybe some of them yeah. yeah and and then the other possibility of course is they're just drunk hubris. on their own hubris yeah yeah, I would I would tend to say the latter. I used to I used to be a little warmer to the former of like this is an internal demolition of the United States. And it could be it could be both. But yeah, I also think that we're probably 
I like to call it, we're the third generation trust fund kids. And it's like, we've never known anything but, you know, Bentleys and private planes. And it's, yeah, don't be surprised when we start, you know, crashing a car every other week. That yeah. might be it too. We're, we're cocky beyond any reasonable level of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's right. Well, they, uh, nobody wants to be the guy who lost the empire on his watch Absolutely is what I not. hear. Yeah. So, yeah. So people are still working in, in the government jobs in the, in the national security state, national security council, these kinds of positions, they often after they retire become more reasonable, but while they're at work, they, they don't want to be the ones who lost the empire. So they're pulling out all the stops and they often get too excited about their work. They get too, you know, enthused about the project and uh and cocky and, and overweening and so on and and uh and then hubris ends up you know and they can get away with a lot of hubris and a lot of stupid mistakes because they're just so you know it's this has been such a powerful empire we really didn't have much competition but now we finally do have some competition and those mistakes are likely to put an end to the empire hmm. or at least it's number one position yeah we're uh we're starting to they're starting to get a little pushback. There's never really been any consequence to our actions, relative consequences to our actions, right? You've always we've always just kind of been able to bully them on either the financial markets or the military battleground. Um, to to jump back to this in a complete 180, I vaguely remember the Charlie Hebdo attacks, but I do always remember seeing like a video of one of the guys running up to like a cop on the ground and shooting him, and they're not being shot him in the head and there was never any splatter. And I do remember yeah. that. And I have someone who has no stake in this. So I don't have like, I'm not biased towards it being real or not. I just always remember that being like, that was a point blank, like AK round to the forehead and a white on white cement. And there was nothing. Could you maybe go into that? I know that that's not what we planned at all. Yeah, as I'm I recall, kind of, I'm kind of interested yeah. in this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those point point blank uh, AK rounds straight to the forehead to the with, with no blood, no splatter, nothing. Uh, the, his guy's head remained intact. And what you actually see happen is there's a little puff where the blank round that was fired uh, hits the sidewalk. And so a little puff of dust comes up. And the, the guy who fired the blank had the consideration to aim you know, a meter or something away from the guy's head because you don't want to get hit in the head even by a blank round, really. So that was very nice of them. Uh, and, and of course, we were told that that shot is what killed the security guard, but that can't have happened. The report, you know, so if he if he's dead, which he probably was, if somebody probably killed him, but it wasn't that that film was not him getting killed. So what really happened? Who knows? But what we do know is that that film of the, the Charlie Hebdo terrorists escape from the cartoon offices where they supposedly killed all those people was taken from the, uh, I believe from the roof, or either the roof or the balcony, it's been a while, uh, of a, a tall building nearby. And that building, I think it was actually the roof, and it, the building was owned by, what's the guy's name? This uh, Israeli billionaire who's tight with the black ops programs in Israel. And so he, he uh, you know, crony of Netanyahu, right? So, so he owns that building and I believe it was the roof. So somebody had access to the roof of that building they claimed it was a Polish, some mysterious Polish guy who, and they didn't, I don't think, I'm not even sure his actual full name was ever fully released. And so he he was credited with having taken that video just by happenstance, but he's just disappeared off the face of the earth. And um, so that, that whole film of that fake shooting is 
beyond suspicious. But then the other kind of ridiculous thing about their escape was where did these Charlie Hebdo terrorists go after they shot the cartoonists? Well, they went straight to the center was it the Marais district that it's straight to the the center of Jewish Paris the Jewish neighborhood and they went straight to the building that houses this IDF affiliate that have they have a huge uh, fundraiser party in for the IDF in that building every year so the Charlie Hebdo Harris went out they drove straight there they parked in front of this IDF building uh and there they supposedly uh, switched cars. I think they like dropped their car and they supposedly carjacked uh, a car being driven by a nice Jewish guy and uh, and disappeared. What a, what a uh, in, another interesting coincidence. So there there are a lot of uh, a lot of interesting aspects to this. And the guy who did the most work on this was uh, that uh, that Paris guy. Oh, what's his name? The guy who has the uh, He's a he's like an Arab guy. Hisham Hamza, I think, is his name, and uh, and so he, he did a lot of uh, really good research on this. And what it looks like is, you know, once again, one of these situations where the Israelis are leading the way, and they've somehow gotten into a position where the, the local security services, in this case, the French, basically just kind of cooperate with them or get out of their way. And then the, the media tells their version of the story, just like with 9-11 and other incidents here. Because we're hopping all over the place. Um, and again, it's it's for anybody that doesn't know, I, I pushed this episode back by a half hour. So it's it's a shorter episode and it's entirely my fault. And uh, I'm going to have to beg for Dr. Barrett's forgiveness. What do you think about, what, could you explain maybe what the, the, and this is something I've never really looked into about the World Trade Center. Is the the E-team what, what mm-hmm. was that? Was that an art piece? And it's for anyone that doesn't know, it was like the lights on the side of the building were, were all turned on in a way and it spelled E-Team. And I think it was relatively soon before the attacks. What, yeah, mon- months before the attacks. I forget how many months. It's like months. where the plane yeah. hit, right? Exactly where the plane hit. Yeah. Exactly where the plane... What what was that? Well, they say that that was Gelatin, the this art group, the okay. kind of a an avant-garde art outfit from, I forget which, like Eastern Middle European country. Uh, and the owners of the Trade Center, and again, that's it's that ownership so of the Trade Center, went, it, it was originally with the Port Authority. Mm-hmm. Now the Port Authority, I think it was run at that time by Eisenberg, as if I recall. Eisenberg is a Jewish Zionist billionaire plus, who I think was at that time also the head of the Republican National Committee's fundraising unit. And so this Eisenberg character, uh, and, and he, he's, he was tight with uh, with Larry Silverstein, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the sex, you know, the, the pimp, the glorified pimp. He, he started making his money as basically a pimp running these, these disguised brothels, you know, strip clubs and stuff. Uh, and then got it, you know, started laundering his uh, organized crime money into real estate. Uh, became a, a regular telephone buddy of Netanyahu. <laughs> so Silverstein and uh, and uh, this uh, Eisenberg and who's the other guy? There's another one, uh, a third. I think he was like the Australian one. These a third Jewish Zionist tight with Israel billionaire. They all work together to privatize the World Trade Center. So two months before 9/11. They cut a sweetheart deal with Larry Silverstein yeah, and sold him. Now, Silverstein already owned Building Seven, 
but now he just bought the rest of the Trade Center two months before 9-11. Yeah, uh, and that he he wasn't a high bidder. There was a, there were higher bids, but they still just handed it to him. And because New York is mobbed up, I don't think anybody objected. You know, you'll end up in the cement life jacket at the bottom of the East River if you object. So so Silverstein got the you know the whole World Trade Center at that point. Now the gelatin thing, I think that happened while it was still run by Eisenberg and his uh, New York Port Authority. And so gelatin uh, was given. You know, who knows how they. You know, asked to be given you know free run of the World Trade Center to do art projects, but they they were given that, and so they they were headquartered right up there at what became the place where the plane supposedly hit, and they did all kinds of structural work there, including knocking out windows and building like a balcony. A little uh, about yeah, I saw that picture. Protruding, and then apparently they also did this E team thing where they like lit up this big you know sort of neon E team in lights which, as you say, it was right across the same floor as where the plane hit. And so they had that free access. Apparently, they had security cards. Uh, you know, they could get past all security. They had these special cards that got them past all security in the Trade Center. They were running around in there for I don't know how long, but quite a while. And so it has been hypothesized that that could have been one of the ways that the Take demolition the people were able to get their work done. What the fuck? <laughs> and, of course, the, then the, other, the other suspicious thing that was going on in there at the time was uh, this little mobbed up supposed elevator company called Ace Elevator. Yeah. Was it uh, founded you know, like right before? Yeah, right. Kind Never of, existed. And then didn't they like right. go out of business after? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they were it given the contract. It wasn't Otis. It wasn't that household no. name. Right. Exactly. So they got the contract to rehab <laughs> the, uh, the elevators. And those elevator shafts, of course, gave access to all of the structural steel in the core columns, which is what you got to take out if you're going to take them down in a de demolition. Uh, so, so those quote unquote repairmen who were out, like, they, they were active for a long time. Those elevators were shut down for a yeah. long time during that year long run up to 9-11. So they had a long period of access to those core columns. Uh, so look at Ace Elevator and look at Gelatin. And, and I would guess that one of those two and quite possibly both, both. were front groups for you know the people that blew up the buildings it's hard i think the comedian tim dylan said he goes there's a lot of conspiracy documentaries but he goes a new pearl harbor it shouldn't be possible to make something that convincing if it's not based in reality and that's i think the first time you and i talked i was still very much in the the as you as i first heard you say uh, lee hop the LIHOP, the let it happen on purpose hypothesis versus the me hop, the make it happen on purpose. I'm sh I'm not a hundred percent there, but I gotta be honest. My my ticker is I'm over fifty percent now. I'm shifting mm -hmm. towards they did it and they did it intentionally, and it's getting harder and harder to deny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it obviously wasn't Bin Laden that was sending gelatin in there or sending Ace Elevator in there. And if he was, then that guy's the master of the universe. Yeah, yeah. It, which he's is, the, which he's is the greatest joke. figure of all time. He's better than Genghis right. Khan and Alexander the Great. He's he's the OG. Right. And, and you know, that's unfortunately, uh, better for better or worse, you know, Bin Laden was really not a very competent, you know, Islamic resistance leader. You know, yeah. they built him up to be, oh, he's the Che Guevara of the Muslim world, this yeah, sort of he's nonsense. He's a rich kid. But, yeah, he was a spoiled rich guy, not particularly bright, and extremely gullible and impressionable. That was what people remembered about him. He was always looking for uh, a 
people to influence him and, you know, sort of, you know, leadership figures. That's how he was described. So this is not the personality. He was a good, I mean, he's a good talker. He could sure. kind of give a good speech. Um, and that's, of course, what built his legend. But he, he wasn't uh, a really an independent actor or thinker at all. And uh, the head of the, well, what, what was he? The, the Muhammad, uh, uh, not Muhammad Asad, Muhammad, um, oh, I'm forgetting, Ar not Arkun, uh, the, the guy who was the Arab world's leading political analyst on Al Jazeera for years and years and years, Muhammad Haikal. He had worked for the Egyptian government uh, for a long time at very high levels. And right after 9 11, he went public and said, this is, Blaming Al Qaeda for this is ridiculous," he said. "I was, as my in my capacity, you know, as an Egyptian government minister, I saw that we had Al Qaeda completely covered, infiltrated, you know, totally. You know, they couldn't, you know, they could they couldn't sneeze or use the bathroom without everybody knowing it. Not just us," he said, "but all these other intelligence agencies as well." So uh, he, he said, "It may, you know, you make me laugh, but play, you know, blame Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda was so infiltrated by numerous intelligence agencies. The only question really is." Who had enough, you know, which intelligence agency uh, was doing, you know, was able to do 9-11 as well as infiltrate and steer so-called Al-Qaeda? I tend to think that it was probably us with the Mossad. I think, yeah. it, I think it was probably, the, I think we're scratching each other's back. Yeah, I think it was the unholy interface between, you know, the U.S. military intelligence services and and their hangers-on and the Mossad. I think it's very similar to the JFK thing. Yeah. You know, I think that there's an element of, in the national security community where uh, fanatical hardliners and Zionists kind of overlap. Yeah. And so those people, like, together took out JFK, and I think the same type of people together did 9-11. Not your rank and file. Yeah, you're, you're true believers at the very top where you really can have a handful of people know and not much more. Yeah, with 9-11, it was weird because they did signal it ahead of time quite a lot. I mean, there, were, there were all of these kinds Warnings. of- Warnings, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the red lights were blinking red and, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of, you know, the, Richard Fuse, the CIA handler of Susan Lindauer, knew that Lower Manhattan was gonna be attacked, uh -huh. stay out of Lower Manhattan in late August and early September. And uh, Randy Glass, the FBI informant, was told uh, by uh, Francis X. Taylor, who was Colin Powell's right-hand man, that the, uh, the the World Trade Center was going to be destroyed. Uh, this was during the summer of 2001. And he said, Rand, you know, Randy, you can't talk about this you know, destruction of the World Trade Center. He said, that's uh, uh, it's classified. He said, and that what he, Randy Glass claims is that he said, you know, we're, we're tiptoeing through a nuclear minefield now. And so, you know, you absolutely must not ever talk about this. So there, that's, these are just a few of the many examples of detailed foreknowledge. And of course, Bush was was told, uh, you know, bin Laden, you know, uh, will attack, and, you know, was it bin Laden li likely likely to attack inside the United States? And then he, Bush kind of whirled at the guy and snapped, well, you've yeah. covered your ass now. Uh, and on and on and on. There's this long, long list of these kinds of indications that it was widely known that something big was coming. Yeah. But as far as the details of, of, you know, who was doing what, I'm sure that would have been kept at a you know, very tight need to know basis. And it's very likely, I think, that there were perhaps overlapping plots or, or certain you know, people that 
had different understandings of what was going on. That is, there may have been an American contingent that was staging some kind of provocation, but not a massively lethal one, just another provocation uh, designed to go into Afghanistan. And then there may have been an Israeli element that wanted a huge mega lethal New Pearl Harbor to go to permanent war against the entire Islamic world on behalf of Israel, which of mm. course is what ended up happening. It's um yeah, in James Bamford's uh uh Shadow Factory of uh, the ultra secret post nine eleven NSA, and then even now, even as of this morning in reading uh, Tim Weiner's uh, Legacy of Ashes, yeah, they talk about how there was a after the Yemen attack or the the USS Cole attack, how the CIA set up a like a field office near Bush's ranch and quite literally said Americans will die on American soil from Al Qaeda this year. And it, it wasn't a secret. It was very much like broad. Uh, yeah. The alarms are going off. The klaxons are siring or, or, or the sirens are blaring. We don't know when and the where sirens are klaxing. The sirens are klaxing and the klaxons are sirening. Yeah, it's no, but it's all of it's happening. And it does almost seem like a sort of predictive preparation. Like it's coming. It's coming, just seeded into the consciousness. Mm -hmm. Have you ever... Have hey, you, sorry, go on. Well, yeah, I was going to mention that there's been that recent news story uh, about the, the paper trail revealing that it was actually the CIA, not the Saudis, that was ba babysitting Khalid al-Midhar and that other guy, those two al -Masri. alleged hijackers, yeah, that came over to California. And then uh, Omar al-Bayoumi, became their handler and babysitter and he basically took them in and got them apartments and you know gave them some cash and held their hands and so on and so forth well Khalid al-Bayoumi according to the anti-Saudi you know contingent of truthers is you know, they claim that he's a Saudi intel guy but in fact I had his nephew on my radio show and his nephew said that the entire extended family knows that he was working for CIA. Well, now that's been confirmed that, that just a, what, a couple of weeks ago, that story came out that it's uh, now the, the, the paperwork shows that the FBI learned that it was actually the CIA that had um, shepherded and babysat these hijackers. So, yeah, but so I scooped the, you know, the, the media on this by more than a decade, I think. Yeah, but you're you're a conspiracy theorist, Doctor Barrett. Yeah, you can't <laughs> right, but I, I, I found the guy's nephew and brought him over. You can't be show. trusted. No, that's hate speech. Right, I guess. But yeah, you you think that the real journalists, you know, if if they even got wind of anything like this, they would go and want to talk to the family of well, uh, of Al Bayoumi. You know, if they and if they see this guy comes on my radio, it's just the entire extended family all knew he was CIA. He told everybody that he was CIA, and we all knew that that was true. He was not radical or anything like that. Uh, as, so why wouldn't these mainstream journalists be interested in talking on the phone to some people from from his family and uh, going visiting them? You know, I bet you they, you know, a real journalist who had a salary and some travel expenses could learn a lot more about the Bayoumi family than I did just by hosting uh, the nephew of, uh, of of the notorious uh, Al Bayoumi, the shepherder of alleged hijackers. Well, and that's when you start to realize that these aren't journalists; these are lapdogs. They're scribes. Yeah, yeah, they they're they're not interested apparently. Yeah, they're not. They're not. Yeah, it's it's that's that's not what they're setting out to do. And that's when you go, oh, oh okay, yeah, no, you don't want this to get out because that's not what your intentions are. Um, I was going to ask you, and I know I said I'll let you go at six, so we'll, so we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, 
have you ever put this like have you ever like made i guess almost like a formal presentation on like the me hop hypothesis because i would i would love to have you on and i'll just mute my mic and sit back and listen to you for an hour i'd love to have you on and just if you just have like a full-on presentation if you something that's something you're interested in sure you know it might what actually might work better than that rather than just a sort of a, a presentation would be a sort of a quasi debate in okay. which you know you you could raise the questions that would be raised by somebody uh, who is defending the the lie hop sure. hypothesis. All right, yes, yeah. and yeah, because and and of course the first thing I would say I'll, I'll give away the game right now just really quickly is that you couldn't let a multiple successful hijacking happen and expect that it would succeed. So, in, and there, in other words, if if you just got out of the way. And let, the, especially these particular alleged hijackers, you tried to get out of the way so that they could successfully take over planes and fly them into targets. The, the chances that that way they would succeed in doing that would be almost nil. Yeah. I mean, none of these guys could fly planes. They were like little, you know, 90 pound shrimps. The muscle guys were 95 pounds, but the others were, you know, less. <laughs> I don't know. So maybe I'm slightly exaggerating. The, the best pilot, according to the 911 Commission, couldn't even solo in a Cessna. Uh, and these, you know, these guys were like total you know, whatever, they, they they were not competent people in any respect. So, but even if you were working with slightly, you know, if you had more competent terrorists that were actually really plotting to do something like 9-11, the odds that any of them would, any of them would succeed in even taking over a plane, much less successfully flying that plane, much less hitting any targets, much less having the targets just explode into nothingness uh, at free fall speed and as controlled demolitions with setting up huge people eating clouds and all of that. There's no way that's going to happen. Like, it, you know, you, you could getting out of the way would not that that still that which has never happened. I mean, the very if you're really lucky, you might get some of these clouds actually cause some trouble on a plane. Maybe somebody even gets hurt on the plane before they get wrestled to the ground. But there hasn't been a successful hijacking in the United States since I believe the 1970s or maybe maybe like 1980. But that that's it. Say that's when they ended. There are various hypotheses about why, but let's just say that you can't hijack a plane anymore. Least of all, just boneheads like that. So the this the basically, if you want to let something like 9/11 happen, you have to make it happen because yeah. there's nobody out there that's competent enough that's going to make it happen. Except you know the Israelis. If you want to say let the Israelis do it, yeah, that's that's my lie. Hop is they got out of the way and let the Israelis do it. Because they're the A team. Yeah, no, no, they they could do it, right? You know, if I got out of the way, but I had a bunch of Air Force pilots and Delta Force operators, yeah, they could, right? Yeah, who have all kinds of assets on the ground in the United States, including half of our billionaires. Yes. I mean, pretty much half of our billionaires will do anything Mossad asks them to do for free. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, well, that's why wouldn't you? Them. You're they... all in the same group. It's yeah, all the deep yeah. state demons. Of course, they. why wouldn't you scratch your buddy's back? He's scratching yours. No, I'd... Best case, and by best I mean obviously bad, but I mean best case, if you got out of the way and let it happen, you'd probably get like a Shanksville type thing. And not even because the passengers rose up, but because they would just take over the plane and then crash it. That kind of yeah. seems like the most they'd be able to do. Yeah, and that's that's not impossible. But sure. it's uh, pretty unlikely. The thing is, there are no radical Arab Muslims that are both brilliant enough to pull off something difficult like this but also stupid enough to think that it would be in their strategic interests. Mm. I'd be happy to do that, man. Because, like, I, as I've said, I'm I'm more on the Lee Hop leaning towards the Me Hop, but I think I'd be able to offer, you know, genuine sort of devil's advocate. It wouldn't be me, like, putting on a mask. It would just be, it'd be <laughs> me being genuinely curious. 
I would love mm-hmm. to do it, man. I mean, I'll email sure. you after this. We could set something up. I mean, I, I that would be great. I would love to. I mean, we could do an hour, two hours, and just kind of go through. Yeah, it. yeah. Let, let's do that sometime. And go ahead and and if you want to take some notes and write, you know, write out just some of the points. If you wanted to make yeah. it easier, I could probably do a little a better job if I saw some of this. But or I'd be happy to wing it too. I'm up for. That. That's what I do every episode. Yeah, Just make a okay. cup of coffee and wing it, man. I'd be happy. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll wing it. We'll do the the lie hop versus my hop. That's how we used to pronounce it back in the day, but maybe it's that's evolved now. Yeah, and uh, that should be fun. I would love to, man. I'll, I'll send you. I'll, we'll wrap this up, and I'll send you an email right now. We can schedule it sometime, and I'll just, I'll just, we'll just, I'll just. I'll be the only one to do that day. Anyway, I won't put any time limit on it, and we can just go down the fucking rabbit hole. Okay, sounds like a plan. Hell yeah. Well, guys, please go check out Doctor Barrett. His links are in the description. Um, and uh, again, thank you for your patience, kicking it back half hour. I really do appreciate it. I'll send you an email. We'll wrap this up, and I'll send you an email right now, and uh, we'll get one in the books, and we'll go down the LIHOP v. MyHOP. Okay, sounds good. Dr. Thanks, Brad, Thank you so much, sir. Guys, right. thank you for watching. Take care. Much love. Peace. Rick.